Welcome to the Horses in Life podcast. I am coming to you today from the side of the road in the Great Salt Basin in northern Nevada. I am somewhere north of Elko, and I'm heading to a ranch where I'm hoping to get a job. I blocked off a couple months this year. Didn't end up being quite that long, but where I don't have any clinics or I'm not taking any horses in training and the plan is to just go and get a job on a ranch or two and uh, do a little cowboying. There are a lot of cowboys and cowgirls, buckaroos that have done a lot of this type of work their whole life and I didn't really grow up that way but as most of you know I have quite a passion for that way of life and that definitely bleeds into what I do for a living and that's kind of where a lot of this this stuff came from. So I thought just trying to spend a little time actually doing some of the work and just getting hired on from the bottom end without really going in as you know somebody who's coming to help them with horses or, or teach them or anything like that. I'm just trying to come in and work just like anybody else would get hired. So I'm pretty excited about it. I will be back to civilization in somewhere around the end of next month, at the end of June. Um, By the time you guys hear this, uh, I would have probably already been working at the ranch here for a few weeks or so. Uh, And if the one I'm driving to today is not hiring, then I'll go on to another one and look for a job there. But anyway, towards the end of June, I'll be kind of back into what I was doing. I've got some clinics booked and I've got some trips planned and then I'll to be taking horses and training again and and, uh, lessons and all that kind of stuff wherever I am. So I'll be back to Kansas City uh, at the end of June and then I'll kind of have some things going through there and I go to Europe and some other places. But anyway, for now, I am overlooking a beautiful kind of desert, kind of greenish scenery with you know, a lot of sage and uh, a lot of short shrubs, not, not very many trees here from where I am right now. I can see for miles. Uh, I can see a few cows off in the distance. I don't see any homes. There's a few vehicles coming by, but it's pretty scarce out here, and it is absolutely gorgeous. I had quite a trip coming out here, drove through two different snowstorms, um, but they kept me awake. That's a good thing about that, so I just kept on rolling. Just so you know, the next few podcasts you're going to listen to, they will most likely all have some pre-recorded intros, just because I'm not sure what my time schedule will be like once I hopefully get a job on one of these ranches here. I'm not sure what the Wi-Fi situation might be, so instead of having to try to do it on the fly while I'm there, uh, I went ahead and recorded a few intros here for some things and one of them you're going to hear coming up is is uh one that we did a little while back grant and i the next one's uh i'll probably go ahead and get recorded here today so you can go ahead and have those ready so i don't have to worry about doing that in the next in the next month or two so anyway i hope you guys get a chance to listen to the conversation that we're going to have today is with craig johnson Craig is a huge name in the reining industry, has been for years. He's one of the guys that I tried to emulate when I was starting out working on the reining. I used to watch his videos. I used to watch him show. I got a chance to ride with him a little bit. 
but it's not his success in the reigning that I wanted to give you guys a chance to listen to or, or hear about. It's actually more of his overall philosophy on what he does with horses and the way he looks at the show horse industry today and how that's changed over the years. There's not that many people who have had that much success in the show horse industry that can actually look at it for what it is and maybe be able to kind of take a step back and be pretty objective and have some self-reflection and be honest about what that industry can do to the horses and to the people. So I kind of feel like that's a little bit where I am today and I can look back and, and realize that, of course, there's some there's some good things that can come from learning some of those things you do with horses, but there's a lot of sand traps to kind of watch out for as well. So anyway, I won't talk a whole lot more about it because you guys are about to listen to it. So I really appreciated uh, Craig giving me a little of his time. And uh, without further ado, I bring you Craig Johnson. Okay, here I am with Craig Johnson. Craig, thanks for being on the podcast. Pleasure, Kel. Thank you for having me. So just to kind of let you guys know, the listeners out there, I was just telling Craig this will actually be really cool and unique because I really don't know Craig that well. I haven't got a chance to talk to him on a personal level very much at all, but I've always known who he was for a long time, and I thought, uh, hey, you're only four and a half hours away. Why don't I come and talk to you about the podcast? So thanks for being here. Pleasure. Or thanks for having me here. So here we are. Tell us about the place we're at here. We're at your place you've been for a while now. Yeah, this is a place I've been nearly 40 years. Ranch that I bought when I moved down here from Iowa a number of years ago and just kind of created a cool spot to train horses. And so, yeah, it's been nearly 40 years on this spot. Nearly 40 years. Yeah. Now, you're just getting ready to make a move, you were telling me. I am. I'm creating a northern division up near my parents in Iowa for family reasons as well. But I'm looking forward to getting back up into Iowa where the roots are and help some people up in there as well. Good. So I grew up just north of Kansas City and Missouri, so not too far from the Iowa line up there. Craig, when I first got to know who you were, you were a big wig in the raining, uh, to say the least. And I remember uh, watching some of your videos when I was starting out trying to figure out how to train some raining horses. And you were down here in this area in Gainesville, of course, and that's where everything was going on. And and I know that uh, you're still riding some reining horses, but I know you're doing a lot of teaching as well and instructing. And talk to us a little bit about what you're doing now compared to some of the things that uh, you used to do or how things have evolved for you. Well, I've had certainly a shift in my own personal desire of what I want to do in the horse business. Certainly, I was competitive and enjoyed the competition part of it and training horses up to go compete at fraternities and world events and things like that. And it was certainly enjoyable. And I picked the reining as a kid growing up just because it seemed like the common denominator to everything that you could do with a horse. If a horse had a little education in reining, he was a better rope horse, cutter, trail horse, whatever. So reining seemed like the key to everything to me. So I just kind of made it a personal study of mine to see how much I could figure out on how to build reiners. But I've since begun to use it more for general horsemanship. I think reining is still the fascinating statement about reining, as it was written by Jim Willoughby, as you know, was willingly guided, no resistance, and dictated to by the rider. That sounds like a cool horse no matter what you do. So I've been using that in my clinics and teaching, and it's really been fascinating to watch people pick up on that, you know, and really take to heart what a reining horse really is. I think reining is far more than a sport. It's how you train a horse. And so uh, 
going into the ranch thing, I kind of feel like I'm going full circle in my life now. It's a little bit how I began. Dad trained rope horses and cutting horses, and we were kind of all around into what we taught our horses to do, and I specialized for years and did really well. But coming that full circle, I'm, I'm really enjoying putting uh, putting some of the things I learned in reining onto other horses as well. Yeah, that's interesting. You brought up the, the NRHA rule book quote there, and I, I went through the NRHA judges school a few years ago and had my judges card, and I've since uh, let that lapse and haven't haven't gone back. I've just kind of been doing a lot of the things, but you're right, and that's re- really interesting. That's kind of what brought me to reining as well. I grew up riding horses at Grandpa's farm and learning a little bit there, and then and then I saw some guys were spinning a horse around one day, and I thought, that looked kind of cool, but then I saw them stopping rolling back and i thought now that looks actually pretty practical that looks like that could actually help the things i used to try to do on those horses that wouldn't stop and wouldn't roll back (laughs) right but then for me it was really interesting i got to where so i spent maybe a decade almost learning trying to learn the reining and from guys like you and some others of course and for me it got to where there was a day and it wasn't like a real specific moment that changed everything but it was a slow evolution but i do remember there was one day for me where i kind of thought I grew up loving just getting outside and riding and helping these young horses. And then here I am inside of a building, just running back and forth, <laughs> loping and loping and loping. And, and for uh-huh. me, it really helped me a lot personally to just get out and do other things with some of that same knowledge. And that's kind of what uh, path that you seem to be on a little bit as well. No, I agree. I think the horses need to get out. There's uh, the tendency within reining oftentimes, just stay in that indoor arena. I call it the circus horse, but I've done it. I mean, good grief, that was part of the game And if you wanted to play at a high level. And I love the sport, sure do. It's fascinating how much horses are doing now. Yeah, it really is. The evolution has been spectacular, but I think horses need to get out. And I think, you know, even in my clinics, oftentimes I still do reining clinics as well and coach a lot of people and, and taken to heart that sentence, willingly guided, no resistance, and dictated to by the rider, that kind of tells me that the horse should be capable of doing multiple things without the reining horse blinders of just about five or six maneuvers. And so oftentimes at a clinic, I'll throw a blue plastic tarp out in the middle of the arena and say, ride over that. And they say, well, what's that got to do with reining? And I said, if you've got willingly guided, you should be able to do that. So let's take seriously what that says and find ways to get the horse's confidence and trust and get his feet moving and let him figure out the puzzle instead of trying to force it on him. Let him figure this out. And uh, so I, I think to be able to go on a trail ride on a rainer, why would that be a problem? It should be automatic. Or to go track a cow or go do ranch work. It shouldn't be a problem at all. They've had some pretty good education. I agree totally. I have a friend of mine that was a customer of mine and still is. And she had some nice reining horses for a while. She had one by Smart Chickalina. Of course, mm-hmm. you knew him. And she had a nice horse, and she was she would always joke around a little bit and kind of say, "Man, that trail riding looks awful dangerous. I need to stick to these reining horses." You know? <laughs> you know, isn't that funny? And of course, the joke there was that there are people in the let's call it the show horse thing that would kind of be like, "Oh, that one's just a trail riding horse," but maybe the horse that they're showing on hasn't been out, hasn't done because he's sees right. he's done the tricks, the circus part of it, but he's really not willingly guided. He's not really exactly. going where you Won't tell go him across to go, the creek, right? It, yeah. So, you know, I remember at one clinic, we were kind of working on teaching the front end to move and as far as working the turn and then showing people how to put a little stop on a horse, because I think stop is a good thing no matter what you do on a horse. And one lady said, oh, I don't need that fancy stop on my horse. All I do is trail ride. And I went, oh my God, what are you willing to go out there without? (laughs) (laughs) There is no way I'm going on a trail ride until I got a stop and a turn and I can control the speed. I'm staying in this arena until I got all the tools I need and then I'll go hit the trail. 
for sure. Because, you know, in this arena, it's fun, but out there, it could save my life. Right, exactly. So I think a horse better be pretty educated before I go on a trail ride. Yeah, I mean, you kind of understand the mindset. I don't need that fancy stuff, but yeah. stopping turning going controlling <laughs> right. the speed that's really not the yeah. fancy that's the, the practical that's, that's just practical <laughs> stuff, just stuff that needs yeah to left right forward and back get yeah. it right yeah those yeah. Are the deal. so i just mentioned the horse smart chicklina your name will obviously be forever connected with that horse in a way uh, whether you like it or not and <laughs> tell us a little bit about that horse i, I actually have a mutual friend at uh, del bell oh wow yeah i knew del a long time ago he helped me with some cutting and of course he was connected with that horse also tell us a little bit about that horse well i, I appreciate being associated with that horse what a difference he's made in this industry you bet. for sure and what a thrill it was to get to ride him i know uh uh, when they called and said that uh, they wanted to see if Smart Chickalina could maybe do the crossover into the reining, and if I'd come try him out, well, shoot, my truck was already running. I was I was there, and uh, it took about 15 minutes, and I said, "Yeah, we'll be able to go." You know, uh, Dell did such a good job. You know, he's a good horseman, and they had, you know, most cutters, and I hate to say this, but a lot of them aren't very broke. They don't know what lead they're on, and you know, or they're not soft in their face or whatever. And, uh, but Dell had done his homework on this one. He was a pretty good broke horse. And there was things he needed to learn to do the reining. He wasn't, he'd never slid. And if he was sliding, he thought he was in trouble. You know, he was going past the cow. <laughs> right, exactly. So he had to figure that out. And the turn was a little different. You know, um, the cutters, of course, they're, they just got to make that half turn or quarter turn, whatever, in front of that cow. And, and uh, you know, just keep blocking that cow. So going all the way around, it was interesting. I had to create a game, you know, just make him think a cow was running all the way around him all the time, you know. <laughs> but he finally figured it out. And and but he was so good minded and such an you know incredible athlete. But um, you know, it was uh, it was sure a thrill. I'm the I'm the guy that was lucky when they got to step on him. And boy, he was a good seat for some fun rainings. I'll tell you that. Now, not to not to uh, back up too much there, but but just to give people that that don't understand or know what the history. So Dell had ridden that horse a little bit before in the cutting, had some success. on Dell had won the world in cutting on him, and you saw him before, and you already knew the horse. Well, we'd bred a couple of mares to him the year previously. Dad and I, uh, my dad Burdett Johnson, and I went over to look at Smart Chickalina. They had us come over and see if we wanted to breed any mares to him, and Dell was riding him at the time. And uh, he just went in and worked three cows. And when he started, he had four splint boots on. When he finished, he had one hanging by a thread. You know, it, this horse was so physical, just blowing splint boots off working these cows, you know. And uh, we thought that was one of the most physical horses we'd ever seen. So certainly we bred mares to him. But it, So then it was the following year that I had the opportunity to take him in training and so he, the uh, correct me if I'm wrong, he's still, he was the first, still the only horse that ever won a world title in cutting and also reining. Exactly right. Yeah, only one. And the way things are looking, I don't see that happening anytime again. So. It doesn't look like it's going to happen. Not everybody's, not, I don't know anybody trying it, you know, or even considering it right now. You know, I always, uh, so I, I grew up in Kansas City, so I, I'm a Bo Jackson fan. Right. And and uh, I've always kind of equated that horse with with the Bo Jackson type of athlete. You know, I mean, there's yeah. I mean, those are two different sports that have some similarities. But I mean, you know, just the, having the chance it can go go both ways and do some of that stuff is yeah. pretty amazing. And you just said not, not a whole lot of people are trying today and a lot of horses you wouldn't even consider trying. it. Exactly. Well, that's right. It, it, you know, it's it's really two different kinds of horses. You know, the cutters are pretty external. They got to find. They're bird dogs. They're trying to find something to hunt, and the rainers have to be kind of internal. And uh, so, to take a horse to, you know, excel at one sport and be that external horse, and then all of a sudden turn inside and be that rainer. But I remember when I was showing, uh, you know, Chick, 
And I learned a lot from him as far as how to put Rainers together. It was interesting um, in that the whole time that I trained him and showed him and the whole thing, he just thought we were warming up until it got hard. You know, just out here loping circles this way, that way, and stop and turn around a little bit, bring in the cows. You know, this is going to get harder. And uh, so I learned a lot about that. I think one of the problems that we have in the reining, uh, the way I see it myself, is we've made the sport for the horse the hard thing. we got to figure out how to make that the easy thing. And Chick was able to do that. He'd been through things that are challenging. And, and uh, so, uh, you know, in, in my training program, I do certainly challenge the horses outside of the reining pen on cows or obstacles or trail rides or whatever the case might be, you know, just make them have to work a little harder. And then I go back to the reining and they think you're kidding a couple of circles and turns. That's all you wanted. No big deal. You know? Yeah. It's no big deal. So I learned a lot from chick, but he was, he was sure a fun horse to ride. So, you know, I, I think it's uh, it's always very humbling to talk to somebody like you that's had some horses like that, that I knew about before I ever thought that we'd be sitting here in your, in your house talking. But, uh, it's always nice hearing you guys give credit to the horse. And I think that's something that some people do a little bit and, and when the camera's on, but a lot of people don't really think that way mm-hmm. as far as really giving credit to that horse. And I think that's something that we all have to uh, re- keep in. You know, sometimes we have to work at remembering that because here we are riding one after the next all day. And yeah. sometimes we have to keep that in mind. Well, I think we do. You know, I, I'm just lucky enough. I've had a number of good horses, Chick, certainly uh, one of them. And and uh, I was just fortunate I didn't fall off of them, you know, in, in the middle of competition because they were the athletes. I was just, you know, I just had a good seat for the show. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there was some education that had to go into them, but that was the fun part, you know, figuring out how to move their feet. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I've not yet ridden two horses that are sa- the same. Yeah, there are similarities. There's, you know, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, all horses are different. You know, but yet uh, figuring out that individual, what what really motivates them and makes them want to try a little bit harder. You know, I just think that's cool stuff. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think if it's not something you enjoy figuring out like a puzzle, like you said, you kind of made it a puzzle for him at one point or one of the horses. But if it's not something we figure out making a game out of it and we get frustrated about it, then the kind of the fun goes out of it. Well, it does. And I think, you know, and I'm so thankful now for the evolution of what I do with multiple different events. Reining certainly is uh, still one of the possibilities, waiting on that good horse to get back in the barn. But so I'm spoiled. I'm really picky. But with the ranch things and, you know, using reining to train them to go do those kind of things as well, I consider myself to be what I call a cross trainer now. And it is that cross training that I think that has given the horse a chance to be what it was born to be instead of what I thought it should be. So cross training, I can go hit obstacles, go track cows, go hit the pasture, go go to the reining pen. Go, you know, I can try multiple things, and I think that way the horse gets an all-around education. And certainly, as an all, getting that all-around education, he'll show where his talents are. He'll show where he's committed or where he wants to be excellent. Every good all-around horse that I've ever seen, they weren't built to be average at everything. They were built to be really good at one thing, but be able to do everything else too. So that's my view of an all-around horse. Yeah, he's probably got one thing he's exceptional at but he can still do the rest of it too still a horse yeah it's just a good horse still ought to go do this yeah right something you mentioned a minute ago that just talking about waiting for that good horse to come in the barn i understand what you mean by that and of course i was in the uh, in the reigning training game for a very short time compared to what you did and i had a little success compared to what you've (laughs) done but i understand how that works waiting for that good horse and i know that for me it kind of got to a point where 
I enjoyed, if there was 10 horses, or let's say 20 horses, my goal was to make 20 horses better. Make 20 horses, improve them, get them to where they're, they're happier, but also not just petting them and feeding them to make them happy. Get them responsive, get them to give their feet. And then if one or two of them have that extra ability where they could go out and do some competitions, well, that's icing on the cake. And I seem uh, to notice a lot today, and you can speak to it more than me, but there's a lot of push to just get out of those 20 horses, for example. There's a lot of push to just don't worry about those other 15. Just push these five as hard as you can to make them the best. And then maybe these other four or five in that 15, they're not quite good enough, but let's just push them and see if we can barely get them to make it and then sell or whatever. Now you see it all the time, and it's unfair to the horses. I've always figured, only because I've thankfully been taught by a lot of good people and a lot of good horses. I learned from them as well, but I was able to, through what I'd learned, I think be able to take almost any horse and go mark a 70 on it. And that's just average. That's not marking huge. But I I think the horses that were capable of going over that, that wasn't me. It never was. I can only get them to a 70. If they go beyond that, that's them. Those horses that I've had that have marked 75s and 6s and whatever else, again, I just didn't fall off. That was all on them. They were just that kind of horse. Yeah, and that's very humbling, but there's a little more to them just not just falling off. I saw you show <laughs> some. I saw you ride some horses. I know you did an excellent job. In fact, I was with you, not with you, we were at the same show in St. Louis, and if, correct me if I'm wrong, you, when you won your millionth dollar. It was there. In St. Louis at the yeah. uh, Missouri Rain and Horse deal there. The NRHA Million Dollar Club, or people who have won over a million dollars in their lifetime earnings, that's a landmark, and you were one of the few that got above that bar. Yeah, that was uh, that was a memorable show. What's interesting is my entire career, I never, it was never a goal to go win a million dollars. It was just figure out how to get these horses tuned up and trained and, and then go show and do well. But it was all, yeah, I remember when I first started, it never was about the money. So I never maintained that mindset or got that mindset. The money wasn't big when I first started. It was, you know, inconsequential, basically. It was all about just go win a raining. And I remember one year I won our NRHA Super Stakes, one of the major events, and won $800. (laughs) And so it's still just about getting the maneuvers right and and leave it up to the judge. It it never was my job to figure out my score. That was their job. I just, again, just steer them around. But I think as far as the Million Dollar Club, I mean, what an honor. But I do remember there at the end when I got close and somebody said, you know, you're pretty close to a million. Well, then you have no idea how hard that last $2,000 came. <laughs> I can imagine. Like, oh, God. Yeah, you you know, go am I to, ever going to? Yeah, you got to go all the way to Missouri to arrange <laughs> yeah, for that. Yeah, right. Now, I think at the time you were in New York. I was. I was training out in New York. I remember talking to you in New York, and I told you I wanted to come out and ride with you. And you said, oh, are you looking for a job? And we kind of talked yeah. a little bit about that. And, of course, that never really panned out. But well, I was doing things. You were doing things. But you were in New York for a while. You had a couple of nights. They were kind of some done horses that you were showing? Yeah, I had some nice horses for a guy back there at Santa Hill Ranch. And it was an opportunity. I remember the guy came and uh, he actually asked me if I knew anybody that could go work for him out there. He was trying to build a big rain and deal. And jokingly, I said, well, what about me? And he said, what's it cost? I threw a number out. So I moved to New York. <laughs> and it was a it was a thrill. I'd, until I drove out there to go to work, I'd never been to New York. You know? And I thoroughly enjoyed it. But after a couple of years, I got to admit, I missed the Western thing of Texas, going to the cut and fraternity and, you know, riding with the guys down here and everything. It seemed back east, people were, if you rode western, you were just kind of fooling around. You were playing with horses. You weren't taking it seriously. Well, down here, it's serious business. Yeah. 
Western is serious riding in Texas. So yeah, I got to missing it and I was ready to come back. But I did enjoy the time in New York for sure. So you probably don't know this. I've actually been working out of a ranch a little bit in Pennsylvania the last, I think it'll be two years now in the spring. I've been going out there and spend quite a bit of time out there. It's a nice place and they have some nice horses I work with there. And But it just made me think of that when you said it. So we have a ranch clinic this fall. It's 10 days long. People come ride. They can bring horses, whatever. But anyway, I just hired Dave Stamey, who's a Western singer from out West, and and he's going to come back, sing us some cowboy songs and things like that. Well, the ranch and I hired Dave to come out and sing. And on the, on the, I messaged him a little bit, and I said something about Pennsylvania. He goes, well, I don't go east of the Mississippi much. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, just a right. typical cowboy thing uh-huh. to say. I don't uh-huh. get east of the Mississippi much. Yeah. I got a kick out of that. But, yeah, it's really cool. Each place kind of has their own things that are really important. There's a lot of English horses well, back yeah, there. Yeah, a lot of English horses back there. And I'm fascinated by that. While I was back there, I went actually and took dressage lessons and stuff. I'm trying to figure out everything about horses. So, yeah, why not? And there's some good dressage trainers back there and certainly found things that I could use. And so I was fascinated by that culture back there as well. But, but yeah, the Western thing just never was like it is here. And Yeah, of course. Know, that's totally fine. So, Craig, a couple of years ago, I had a girl that was working for me a little bit or helping me out there, and she said, hey, did you see this thing on Facebook that Craig Johnson put the people are talking about? And I said, no, I didn't. And at the time, I honestly didn't even know how to get onto Facebook. Maybe I'd already been on it, and I had a page probably kind of advertising my business, but I didn't really get on there personally much. Anyway, and I said something, she kept talking to me. She said, everybody's commenting on it. Now there's animal rights people talking about it. And I said, well, what's so funny? She printed, I said, print it out for him. So she printed it out, brought it in the next day. I read through it and I thought, man, this is great. This guy just said a lot of great stuff. And, and I'll, I'll paraphrase real quickly for the listeners. And I don't want to, I'm sure there's a lot more to it, but I don't want to correct me if I'm wrong. But I remember a few of the comments similar to the idea that we just already discussed about sometimes in the raining, we get to pushing horses too much. I know I've done it in the past, is what you said. And I remember pushing some horses too long to go to the show and blah, blah, blah. And now I'm trying to kind of help a little bit more of the horses and think about the horse as a whole and and not think push them for one show, but help them be all around. And there were people in the reining industry that were not happy with what you said. Oh boy, they were not. But then on the other, what I thought was, then there were animal rights type people. Did you see what he did? He just admitted to abuse. And I'm going, now wait a minute. No. You guys should be on his side because he's trying <laughs> to say he's trying to take care of horses. And you weren't bashing the reining industry anyway, the way no, I, what I read. Not. You were just trying to be honest about some things that were happening. And I remember calling you and saying, hey, I just want to tell you, I read this deal and I, I appreciate what you said. Well, I appreciated your call. Every now and then I'll go on a rant and I actually spill what's on my mind. Mind, you sure, know, sure. through Facebook or something. And, and it was just one of those things. It was, it had just been boiling up and I, I just had to get it out there. And, and it, boy, that did kind of take off. And, it, and it, <laughs> a lot of people had different perspectives and viewpoints on what its intention was, but the intention was uh, I'm just evolving. I'm just evolving and was trying to explain where I've been and where I'm headed. And, and so who would do this, whether you're training to be a world champion or just out recreationally riding, who would do this if you didn't love horses? I mean, yes. who would do this? Good and point. never in my life have I ever seen anybody train wrong on purpose, ever. But who would get on and do that? And yet we can all look at it with our own perspective and things and go, well, I would never do that, or that's abuse, or this, or that. No, it's not. It depends on your attitude. It depends on what you're trying to accomplish. And we all know some horses, they deserve a little reprimand once in a while. Even the recreational horses, my goodness. What's the difference if you're getting run over with their ears up or their ears back? You're getting run over. Come on. That's a good point. (laughs) So I think to call every attempt to ask a horse to achieve something big, to call that abuse, that is not. It's just, I feel kind of like a coach of the horse. And just like any coach in any other sport, 
sometimes you're going to push those athletes a little bit, challenge them, get them to step up and find out who wants to be the big gun, who wants to be. And the ones that do, they'll raise their hand. And the ones that don't, fine. It's their choice, totally their choice. A couple of years ago, I was in Costa Rica, and there was a, I remember we were riding some horses. There was a girl that hadn't ridden much there. She was kind of along doing some media things. Nice girl, great gal. And she, we were getting ready to go across the estuary, just a little, little water there. And the water was rising, mm -hmm. and another hour or so, it was going to be hard to cross. You're going to have to swim. Right now, it was not even up to their knees, or maybe, maybe a little above their knees. And I remember the girls, what she said there, and I never forget it because we were sitting there and I was kind of trying to help her a little bit just because I was there and she was needing a little help. And I said, come on, go ahead, kick him a little bit. Tell him, come on, make him get across. Him. And I remember her comment. I'll never forget it. She said, I really don't like making an animal do something they don't want to do. And I said, okay, well, let's talk about that later. Let's get across the water. It's good. Okay. <laughs> right. So we got across the water. And then that night we sat around and, and we had some, uh, had some nice, nice dinner there on the beach and we were talking and I remember I said to her, I said, you know, I really appreciate what you said there. And, and I think a lot of people really need to think about that more. But the way I kind of said it to her was, but if you're on top of him already, then there's some things you need to make him do right. in order for you and him both to be safe. Because in another hour, you weren't going to get across that water. It was, was going to be, be more dangerous for you and for him. So I totally can appreciate that side of it when people are kind of like, I don't really want to force this hand. Okay, fine. But don't get on him. Right. If you're gonna, then don't get on him. <laughs> right. Yeah. But if you're going to get on him, you kind of need to make sure there's some things working here. Yeah, you know, I agree. You got to have the tools in there to be able to control what happens. And, you know, I think I'm a big fan of the natural horsemanship. I really am. And it seems like there's these two schools that show competitive side, and then there's the natural horsemanship, or there's those guys that are competitive and winning things, and then there's the guys that are out teaching it instead. <laughs> and uh, I think there's a wonderful combination or that middle ground of the two. But to me, where the middle ground is, realizing that natural horsemanship is actually not just about me figuring out the horse, but it's about the horse figuring me out too. He's got to realize that if I'm going to pick up my hand to slow him down. I'm going to pick up my hand or move my hand, lay the rein against his neck, and that means go left or go right. And if I lay a leg, it means move over here or move over there. Those are things he's got to know because those are tools I'm going to use in order to be able to communicate to him how to be that willing partner, right? But he's got to live in my world too. Yes, I want to figure his out for sure. And it's been a fascinating study, how horses think and how they respond. And again, as we said, how they're all so different. But I think a lot of times what people are having trouble with is they keep giving their own space or their own ability or natural tendencies to work with a horse. They're giving up on those and just letting the horse run the show. And I don't think that's right either. I remember First starting out, or if you, for example, are going to teach somebody to ride, what are their first instinct? If a horse starts to go, what's the first instinct they have in order to slow it down? What do they do? They pull. And if it's stopped and they want it to go, what's the first instinct they do? They kick, all right? So apparently, we were born with the instinct of what to do. <laughs> right. We were, and those are right answers. But somehow, we go on and, and continue our education, and we've been taught, well, don't pull to stop and don't kick to go really? How else are you going to stop? In fact, it triggers me to think, well, okay, let's go with the idea. Don't pull to stop and don't kick to go. But what if they don't stop? What do you do? Pull. 
Well, maybe I'll teach him that. <laughs> well, what if he doesn't go? What do you do? Kick. Well, then maybe I'll teach him that. Maybe I'll put the what ifs in first instead of being out there on the trail where I'm now I'm at the mercy of nature and everything else going on, the creek rising. And now he doesn't have these tools on. I'll put them on before I go. I will get across that creek. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. And <laughs> I've, I've said it so similarly. It's funny. Yeah. I always say to people, in fact, there was a lady that came. She drove in this week, for, uh, drove about a day and a half to get here. And she wanted to work on some different things. And we were talking about stopping the horse. And she's been working with some trainers back home. And they had told her about taking your legs off, and making sure the horse stops and backs off your legs. And then if you use your legs, the horse should get backwards faster. And so then when it was time to go, she would just lean forward and the horse would go. And so anyway, point is, it just exactly what you were talking about. Let's just stop for a second and just think for just a second. When you get outside and that horse gets scared and a turkey flies up underneath his belly and he starts to go, what's going to help him? Are you going to take your legs off, sit down, say the word, whoa, <laughs> and he's just going to stop and relax? Yeah. No, he's going to run. But if you can pick up on him and help him find that feel where he can trust that feel, he can come right. back. Now he's going to think that you're on his side and you're kind of helping him a little bit. So there's nothing wrong with making sure that the horse can take your hands when you pick up and connect that to his feet. Well, I think every horse is, it's all about an attention span. They're all going to lose it. They're all going to lose that mental focus. They're all going to have a tendency to wander off over here while they're going down the trail. You'd wish they'd look ahead, but they're looking off in the woods because there might be a deer over there and then they break left or whatever the case is. So I think the goal in horsemanship, whether it is recreationally riding on a trail ride or even in competition, my goal has always been not to cause the horse to stay totally focused 100% of the time, but to figure out how what I can do to cause the horse to get back to me as quick as possible. Whether it's one stride later, or they're going to make that break. They're going to take that bad step. But how quick can I get it back? How little does it take and how quick can I get it back? That's the key to the whole thing, I think. So, Craig, you're out there today. You're doing a lot of clinics, traveling. You're getting ready to go to Australia. I'm a little jealous. I wish I could get in your suitcase. <laughs> Tell us about yeah. what you're going to be doing there. Well, in Australia, I'm going to do several different clinics. A lot of them are ranch clinics, but I'm also doing a reining clinic. And I'm also going to a place where they do trick riding, of all things. When I get to go in there, and hey, they're trying to figure out whatever that I might be able to do to help them with positions. Not that I'm a trick rider, but they want to know a little bit how to get their horses maybe in a little cooler position. Because I'm such a nut about the finesse of things anyway. I mean, it's one thing for a horse to go out there and run a circle, but if he's got his head off to the outside and he's dropping his shoulder and all that, it just bothers me. That's not the position he's supposed to be in. So I think to go to the next level of things, whether it's trick riding or even going down the trail, just having a horse where he's in a better position to be able to deal with what's coming up next, because there's always something next. So that's fascinating. But I'm also going to, they've scheduled for me to be able to go out and on a, what they call a gather of, they're gathering brumbies. And so this will be kind of fun in the snowy mountains, just to basically like the movie. We're going to be out there. And, and the, the brumbies, just for people that aren't real familiar with that, are the wild horses over the there wild horses in, in Australia. Australia. Yeah, like the Mustangs here. And so, yeah, they just gather them or move them to different pastures. And, you know, not that, the, that they're going to catch them all. But just like cattle, if you're a rancher, sometimes you got to move them from here to there. And I think that's kind of all we're doing. So you're going to go down the cliff? No, oh, yeah, well, like I don't know if I'm going to or not. But, <laughs> it, yeah, maybe I will. You never know. Yeah, who knows? That wouldn't bother me too much. It might yeah, be fun. It might be. But, uh, yeah, it's, I've been on rides in the snowies before, and it's just spectacular. The scenery is just beautiful. But this is a real opportunity to go find some of those wild horses and, follow them for a while. Um, you go to Europe a little bit as well, I think. I do. Yeah, I get to Europe quite a bit this year. I'm going to England and Germany so far, uh, but there's another 
guy trying to put together a tour of several countries over there, but I've been in almost every country in Europe, which is fascinating. It's such a thrill to go see all these different places and cultures and the different kinds of horses that they ride. And just one of the beautiful things I get to do is go travel. People pay me to go see all these great places and then help them with their horse too. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? It is. Yeah. I got to go to Europe twice now and did some clinics over at Austria and Germany a little bit. And I got to Spain last year. Yeah. I really enjoyed that too. It's fun. I call myself the world's fastest tourist. (laughs) That's right. That's right. I feel the same (laughs) way. Which, you know, it's always in between clinics. We got to drive from this one over to that one. And so most of my pictures are taken at 70 miles an hour, you know, going down the road. So we don't get an opportunity to stop very often, but It's still fun just to go see it. So a lot of the people that come to your clinics, you probably have some people that have been coming off and on for a while, and you probably have some, hopefully, like all of us, hopefully new people quite often too. Is a lot of the same type of people that that really appreciate your type of horsemanship or kind of all kinds of stuff? It's varied. There's a lot of places that they do want me to come in and coach some high-level reining stuff, and that's always a thrill for me. But I do a lot of general horsemanship clinics. And I think where I fit in, or what people are getting out of what I've got for them, really, is I kind of see myself as the middleman. If you want to learn how to just basically get along with a horse and just stay out of trouble and all that, there's guys out there that are good at that. That's not necessarily where I fit. I'm happy to help somebody go win a world championship. But where I really like to help people at, as much as anything, is those people that are wondering, they've gone through the basic education, Now they can ride a horse, they're doing okay, but now they've discovered, you know what, what's next? So I'm maybe the what's next guy. They've got a horse that, yeah, he can walk, trot, and lope now, but I wonder what I could teach him to do next. And so that's kind of where I fit in to see if there's anything else I can do. So I'm not necessarily a teacher of people as much as I am teaching the people how to teach the horse. It's all about the horse. It's all about the horse. So I'm not the riding instructor. I'm the training instructor. So I mentioned earlier, just so you listeners know, I called Craig yesterday and I said, or maybe it was two days ago, and I said, hey, Craig, I haven't talked to you for a long time, but I got a podcast going. I'd like to get you on it. Where uh, where are you? He yeah. said, well, I'm in Iowa right now, but I'm, <laughs> I'll be back in Texas tomorrow. I'm driving back to Texas tomorrow. I said, okay, well, maybe I can meet you. I got to, well, I'm only going to be there a couple of days. I said, well, why don't I drive up Friday? I don't have a clinic till Saturday, so I can drive up Friday. <laughs> it's only four and a half hours. So anyway, and then we got here and Craig says, so what are we doing? I said, well, I've got a podcast. It's called Horses in Life. And it's kind of loosely based on, we can talk about whatever we want, but it's kind of loosely based on the idea of working horses, how it relates to life. And he said, well, man, doesn't it though? Oh, yeah, the connections are endless. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about some of the things you teach in that regard. Well, I think there's so many analogies between horses and life. And I think What I've discovered a lot about horses is attitude and effort and how to motivate and coach and things like that. And if a horse is being a little challenging or scared or blown up, you know what I mean by that. You know, a horse has just been overly pressured. pressured So what do you do about that? Well, you got to get his confidence back. And there's things that you learn through the horses is when to put pressure on, when to take it off and when to move left, when you really want to go right. So those analogies, like I said, are are pretty endless. You know, you can always come up with something. But I think what I learned as much about horses and life as anything is figuring out how to communicate, be a better communicator. When the horse can't talk back, you've got to be a really good communicator, really good, (laughs) through body language and things, of course. but, But still, it's communication. And so I think there's things I've by all means learned from the horse that I can incorporate into life as well. And for example, going to Iowa. Part of the reason that I'm going to Iowa is my parents are getting older. I don't want to miss the opportunity to spend time with them. And those are things that, uh, 
I once said or wrote on my Facebook page, a horseman is not the one who can make one go. It's the one who's sad to see one go. So that means there's countless numbers of people that can cause a horse to go left, right, forward, and back. So what? Where I find a horseman is the kind that should the horse pass on? Is he sad to see that horse go? Or if the horse sold or he belonged to a customer and now the customer decides to take him home. I'm saddened every time because as a trainer, we're the ones that put our heart into it. They own it, yeah. But you put two years, three years, five into that horse. Whose horse is that? That's right. It's theirs, you know. 100%. But who does that horse connect to? Me. And I connect to them too. So there's been a number of horses. It's just flat sad to watch them go. So I think you got to have a heart for the horse and a softness toward that. But So that analogy there is... Yes, as much as Iowa in the winter seems like a really bad idea, that's my folks. I'm going to take what time I've got left to be a son, and I think that's important right now. So that leads me into my final question that I try to ask a little bit, and you kind of already hit on it there, but uh, sometimes I'll say, give us some, uh, you've been through some things in life. You have a daughter, you've had a family, you've been through the horse training business, and, and you've traveled some in the world. And You know, if there was a group of young people over here, your daughter and I are similar to the same age, and maybe there's a group of people like that, and if there's something you could say to them, if you weren't going to be around anymore, whether it had to do with horses or anything else, what are some things that you feel like are important that people need to understand as they grow up and start their life? Don't miss time with the family, sure. That's a very, very important thing. And the family includes not just the that Blood relatives. small nucleus of kids and all that, but parents, grandparents, aunts, aunts, it's a big world out there. And we sometimes, we get so busy in this horse business that we don't make that phone call or write that note or we skip Christmas or whatever this year. And, and there's so many opportunities that we shouldn't have missed. So in the case of Sarah, I tried as hard as I could to get to every basketball game, every track meet, everything, but you miss some. It's part of the game. And, uh, those are things that you'll never get back. So for sure you want to make all those efforts to do those things. But this is a business that's a pretty good challenge. And, hey, you know, I say it's a business. It's not. It's a job. But it's a job that I wouldn't, I can't imagine doing anything else, for sure. So I created a job for myself that was able to provide for the family and to put together a nice place and all that. So that's cool. And I can't imagine, like I said, doing anything else. I think people, you know, I read a thing on Facebook the other day about uh, that they'd done a study that people who are good with horses were born with that instinct. And I went, duh. People just are born with that instinct. And if you are, great. You can't imagine doing anything else. You're not going to force it to happen, for sure. And just take it one day at a time, for sure. We all get caught up. I think one of the hardest lessons I ever had to figure out from the horse thing was how, admittedly, there was a time when my happiness depended on whether I had a good horse in the barn or not. It really was that serious. It was that serious. If I had a good fraternity horse in the barn, I was okay. I was happy. But if I didn't, I was not a happy guy. <laughs> or if I had won the world, or if I'd won the fraternity, if you'd won something, you're happy. If you don't, it wasn't that bad. But we get tied up in that, and we get connected to that so much. And it's an inner drive that we have, or we wouldn't do this, but that inner drive was just starting to take over. I thought, that's enough. I'm missing the point of life here. I'm missing it. It's not about whether I've got a good fraternity horse. It's about whether I'm doing what I want to do with my life. And so, yeah, it's kind of fun. Yeah, that's great. Something that you mentioned earlier that I'm, I'm going to hit on for a second is really, really cool because you, you just kind of mentioned about, you know, losing a horse, whether they actually pass away, die, whether they just go home or somebody sells them or whatever. And 
Of course, it's not always our decision as the trainer, agent, whatever. But there was a horse a couple of years ago that a friend of mine, I had it for quite a while, a friend of mine, they actually sold it to another friend that I, I'll still know, and I jokingly said, but it wasn't really a joke. I said, this horse right here is the longest relationship I've ever had with a female, besides my mother. This, this <laughs> right. is about the deal yeah, right here. Exactly. Know? And there was, a, there was a connection there, and it's not necessarily a spiritual connection the way some people might want to try to talk about it today, but there's a connection where the horse knows me, I know her, and that's just one example. But there was uh, definitely some, there, you know, you, you develop some, some bonds and some friendships, but it might not be the way that a lot of a lot of people are talking about it that I see about. Yeah. Uh, but it's uh, it's definitely a real thing. Well, it is a real thing. I mean, you do get connected. You put in your knowledge, your heart, your time. We ride when it's hot, cold, wet, dry, whatever. And just in an effort to help the horse figure things out. And then we learn from the horse as well. So it is this give and take of horsemanship that's going back and forth between the rider and the horse. And you do get connected. It's a pretty deep connection, in fact. And it, I've had a handful of horses. So I'm so lucky. But in competition... When those handful of horses hand you their heart because they trust you, they believe you, not because they're afraid of you, but because they just handed you their heart. You asked for it and they went, okay, you've been good to me. I'll try this for you. And so it's pretty cool when that happens. And so, yeah, there gets to be a very good connection. But I remember one guy was talking about even those horses that you have that special, deep connection with, they're still a horse. And they're still debated or not it's a prey animal we're a predator come on i hate to use those words because it sounds so you know yeah but that's what it is but the reason i brought it up is because there'll be people that'll go yeah i've heard that we're the predator they're the prey so we got to figure this out we do but imagine that you were on a trail ride and you were on your horse and your dog was following along and you were off on a beautiful trail ride and all of a sudden out of this tree jumps a mountain lion and the horse jumps and bucks and you fall off which of the two stays and which one leaves (laughs) the horse is gone your dog is here and so that's just their instinct i don't care how many treats you feed him when the mountain lion jumps your horse is gone he is but what we do is try to make that connection to the point where in a situation within that's an extreme situation first of all i wouldn't be out there if there's a mountain lion try to avoid yeah i'm going to try to avoid that what do i do about mountain lions (laughs) first of all that was a bad idea almost everybody that's gotten in a wreck with a horse if you ask them and pin them down they go yeah you know i probably shouldn't have done that (laughs) (laughs) okay that was my fault but it's just uh within the reasonable stretch of the position we're going to put the horse in do we have the amount of control to be able to handle that situation if we've only got a little woe and a little turn and a little go, don't go someplace where you're going to need a lot of woe and a lot of turn and a lot of go here. And if you're not that kind of rider, don't put yourself in that position for sure, by all means. And that's part of developing that trust. We've all had cases of horses where you could get on it and this horse does spectacular things. And I could get on with a few minutes, almost get it to doing what you had it doing. But yet somebody else could get on and within 15 minutes, that horse can't stop anymore, can't turn anymore, can't. All because, and you would think, well, the horse knows how to stop and turn. And yeah, but if the rider doesn't have those skills, that horse is just going to fall apart. You know, he is. He's just going to fall apart. That's what they're going to do. And I think oftentimes the horse gets blamed for certain things that maybe we could look at as a rider and go, yeah, yeah, okay, maybe I need to practice a little bit better on sitting here and sitting there. And if having been in the raining, I know there's a lot of people that see the raining, they've seen it on TV, they've seen it at the show or whatever, and they go, oh, I want to be a rainer. Well, first of all, you can't ride a stick horse, so let's, let's start somewhere else. 
You may be got in and over your head to start with. Let's see if you can trot in a straight Let's line. see if you can walk trot <laughs> first, you know. Let's do that first. I think that's a good point. I think kind of people knowing their limits or understanding their limitations as riders, and doesn't mean they can't improve, but it means they need yeah. to work from where they're at. Improving is what we're all in this for. Why would we still be doing this after all these years if the goal wasn't for improvement in our own ability to work with horses? So that certainly is the goal. And yet there are people that you can tell just have like horses, a natural instinct for a particular discipline, there's people out there like that too. I remember one kid, first time he ever rode, he was a college kid, going to school, he was being a lawyer, never rode a horse. I put him on one and I went, oh my God, this guy there's a natural talent. Stuck right in the middle of that thing. He was a good athlete, but man, and just instinct. He knew how to sit and where to ride. And this other kid, a friend of his, he brought him out to ride because he'd never rode, but this other kid had been riding for years. Didn't have half the talent. He'd been riding for years, and this other kid was the first time. Some people have it, and some don't. But it doesn't matter. It's all fun. Whether you've got the instinct or the skill level or not, what could be better than to step on a horse and just take off across that pasture and just enjoy the day? You bet. So you don't know this, but at the end of each podcast, I have a little what they call an outro. I learned there that's a word now, outro. Oh, oh that's awesome. It's the little thing they put on the end of the <laughs> podcast. But anyway, at the end of it, I say something to the effect of, Hope you're enjoying the podcast. You can support yeah. it by sharing it with your friends and whatnot. And then the last thing I say is, and enjoy each day. Right. And that's just what enjoy you said. The day. It just made me think of that for yeah. a minute. So that's good. Well, listen, Craig, I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me today. And hopefully we'll get you on here again someday. Tell us if somebody was interested in uh, catching up with you somewhere. How do they find out what you're doing? Well, you could catch me on uh, Facebook. I've got my own personal page, Craig Johnson. You're welcome to try to friend me, but it's full. Okay, but you can kind of follow me there. I've also got a business page, Craig Johnson International. That's where I put training tips and where I'm going and what's going on. And But I've also got a website, craigjohnsoninternational.com. And so that's where you'll find the clinic dates and places I'm going and where I'm going to be teaching and horse shows if I'm going to some of those. Good. Okay. Well, have a safe trip back to Iowa. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. If you're enjoying the Horses in Life podcast, there are many ways you can support it. You can obviously tell people about it. You can tell your friends about it. You can share it through social media or any other means. You can go to patreon.com and support it financially. There's a little more information on my website about the podcast. Also on my website, calmiddleton.com. Please be sure you sign up for my monthly newsletters through my email subscription list. Until next time, enjoy each day. Enjoy each day.